If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll tell you as you're turning there, I am not a very big social media person, but occasionally I'll get on Facebook and browse around a little bit like everybody else. And I'll come across a photograph of a friend from high school. Now, that was a lot of years ago, but I'll, I'll recognize those people. And of course, with Facebook, we're connected to everybody in the world. And I'll see one of those pictures, and it'll usually lead me to looking for a bunch more pictures of high school friends and just sort of thinking back all those years ago to all of those friends I had. And I've noticed something about my high school friends the 1986 class of Walter Welburn High School, I've noticed something uh, that is true of those people. It's not true of me, but it's true of them, and I want to share that with you. Number one, they all look really, really old. (laughs) Their faces are all wrinkled up. Uh, Half of them have lost their hair. The other half they have lost the pigment in their hair. And while I can't even imagine most of them ever being parents, about half of them are already grandparents. Uh, At my mom's funeral just two or three months ago, uh, some of those high school friends uh, visited just to uh, express their love and condolences. And I remember one girl Uh, because that's how I remember her. She came in with her husband and I just wanted to say some kind words. She and I were very, very good friends in high school and um, hadn't seen her in a lot of years. And so she's standing there and she has gray hair. And so she hugs me and the whole time she's hugging me, all I could think of is this is like hugging my grandmother. (laughs) Now, hopefully she's not watching today. Uh, but <laughs> the point of all of that is that time flies. Time flies. Uh, life, opportunities, those things are fleeting. The clock is counting down. The clock is counting down on our opportunities to serve the Lord, uh, our opportunities to show love to those people who are dearest to us, opportunities to respond to the call of the Spirit. Uh, I want to encourage you, even though sometimes it's discouraging to think about how quickly life goes by, uh, for the last six years, as we've come to the first Sunday in December, uh, we have paused whatever worship series we were in, and we've taken this Sunday uh, to focus on the ticking clock of life. And I call this message each year, Come Before Winter. And we focus on 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul encourages Timothy to come see him quickly to come before winter. Now, I'll tell you that this uh, idea of preaching this message each year is not original to me. It began uh, with a pastor by the name of Clarence McCartney, who pastored Arch Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, He preached a message, so far as we know, the first message uh, preached with this title, Come Before Winter. He preached it in 1915. And when he preached the message, a revival broke out in Philadelphia. 
And so Clarence McCartney preached the exact same message word for word the next year, the next year, and the next year, and every year through 1957, and then he passed. Well, then in the next year, W.A. Criswell, pastor of First Baptist Dallas, he picked it up and he began to preach it, not every year, but many years. And since then, many pastors around the country, around the world, uh, have about this time of the year paused and preached a message, their own message, I'm sure, but they have preached a message come before winter. So I've borrowed a little bit from Clarence McCartney and I've borrowed a little bit from Chris Well and some other contemporary pastors and I have my own little version and so today I want to preach come before winter. I did this first in 1995. My wife and I were newlyweds when I preached first uh, come before winter. Uh, so if this seems monotonous because you've heard this five times before, uh, just feel sorry for my wife <laughs> who has this message memorized. It is a little different every year, but, um, but it's largely the same. Well, second Timothy chapter four, here we have a remarkable, uh, details about a remarkable historical account where the apostle Paul who is a prisoner in Rome, is approaching the very end of his life. This is his second imprisonment in Rome, and he is facing an almost certain execution, and in fact, he was executed for his faith. This happened somewhere between uh, the age, uh, the time 64 AD and 68 AD. Uh, Rome burned, uh, the city burned in 64 Nero, who was the emperor, blamed it on the Christians. And so following that, uh, many Christians were executed in the city. We know that Nero committed suicide in 68. And so this would have had to have happened somewhere between 64 and 68. Paul was executed by beheading uh, during those years. And before that happens, in fact, so far as we know, that's the last thing he wrote before that happened. He gave us 2 Timothy, the book, the letter that we call 2 Timothy. So this is a letter to maybe his best friend in the ministry, a protege in the ministry uh, that was following Paul's footsteps and Paul uh, considered Timothy very valuable to him and to the work of the Lord. So let's read what these final words, the final chapter of the final letter of the Apostle Paul, let's read beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day <clears throat> And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Now you can hear some finality just in those words, right? Paul is talking about his last days. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. Uh, Paul is ready to die. But Paul has one final request. So let's continue to read verse 9. Paul says, make every effort to come to me soon. Now, if you underline things in your Bible, there are two important words to underline there. Every effort. Paul said, don't just come if it's convenient. 
Don't just come if you have extra time, but make every effort to come to me soon. Now, if we read in verse 10 and 11, uh, he says, because Demas has deserted me uh, since he loved this present world. Now that's an important thing to note. So one of the companions of the apostle Paul uh, made a decision that many people make today. Now this person, uh, so far as we know, was a Christian who loved the Lord and served the church, but he made the decision that he loved this present world more than he loved the things of God. And so he deserted Paul. So he goes on to say in those verses, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. And then skip down to verse 13. He says, when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls and especially the parchments. Now, a couple of just quick things to notice there. One is that he encourages Timothy to bring with him Mark. Now, that's important because we know from the book of Acts that uh, Paul and Mark had a falling out. Uh, Mark, by Paul's estimate, was not a faithful servant. Uh, when, uh, when things got difficult, Mark bailed on a mission trip with the apostle Paul, and so they have this division between the two of them, and they end up going their separate ways. But when we come to the end of Paul's life, what do we notice? Paul has reconciled that relationship. I mean, this is the sign of a true man of God. Paul did not allow that relationship to remain broken. And so here he says, bring Mark with you. I miss Mark. Now, the other thing I would note here is that he asks Timothy to bring the books, to bring the books, the parchments. The apostle Paul was a scholar to the very end. He never lost his desire to learn more of God's word and to know God better through his word. And I think that's uh, commendable. Now, if you skip all the way down to verse 21, he's going to say something very similar to what he said in verse nine, but he's going to add a few words. He says, make every effort to come before winter. What Paul is telling Timothy is that this is an urgent matter. And we see here this urgent call from Timothy, I'm sorry, this urgent call from Paul for Timothy to come. And what we can also see in here is that God has a call for us. And so just as Paul's call for Timothy was urgent, so God's call on our lives is urgent. Let me tell you why it's urgent. First of all, because of the temporary nature of life. Paul knew his life was short. He had already written his obituary, really. We read that in verses 6, 7, and 8 when he said there are just a few drops left in the offering, the drink offering of my life. He talks, in fact, in the past tense in verses 6 and 7. It's over. I've come to the end of life. And Paul knew that every time the door of his jail cell would open, it could be the executioner coming to take him away. Paul knew that every time he ate a meal, it might be his last meal. 
Paul knew every time the sun came up that he might not ever experience it coming up again. He knew that his life was at the end. Now, here's why that's important for us. Our lives are short. Now, none of us are waiting execution, but the truth is life is still brief. None of us know when our lives will come to an end. The Bible says in James 4.14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And you know, even if you live to a ripe old age, and I hope you do, life is still brief. In fact, the longer you live, the faster it goes. I've heard people say that all my life. I'm just now believing it. But I think back to Christmas when I was a kid, from Thanksgiving to Christmas seemed like an eternity. But today, Thanksgiving to Christmas is just a blip and it's here. Life is going faster and faster and faster. I thought I would encourage you today with a little bit of math, and I've done this in the past and people have appreciated it so much, I thought I'd do it again today. Just to help us understand the temporary nature of life, I have compared a 78-year lifespan uh, to a 365-day calendar. Now, I'll tell you, interestingly, when I started preaching this message, the average lifespan in America was 78 years. It's not that anymore. It's actually gone down. All of these time-saving devices we have and stress-relieving devices we have in America, and it's not two or three years off of our life expectancy. I don't know what that means. But let's say for us it's 78 years, here's the calendar. If you're 30 years old, it's May the 20th. Let's let that sink in. If you're 40 years old, it's July the 6th. If you're 50 years old, it's August the 22nd. If you're 60, it's October the 8th. If you're 70, it's November the 24th. Happy holidays. (laughs) I thought it might be beneficial uh, perhaps to compare it to a football game as well. Uh, just in case the first one didn't resonate with you. Uh, If you're 20 years old, you've just begun the second quarter of the game. If you're 34 years old, you're in the middle eight, if you know what that is in football. If you're 50 years old, you're halfway through the third quarter. If you're 60 years old, the time remaining, 13 minutes, 51 seconds. At 75... It's the two-minute warning. (laughs) Now, I hope you have many overtimes in your life. But the call of God is urgent because of the temporary nature of life. The call of God is also urgent because of the tenuous nature of opportunity. Now, here's where we... Um, see significance in the fact that Paul said, come before winter. Paul and Timothy at this point are about a thousand miles apart. Timothy's in Ephesus. Uh, The only reasonable way to get from where Timothy was to where Paul was to travel by ship. But the problem is 
in the Mediterranean, their storm season was the winter. Uh, just like it wouldn't be a good idea for you to take a Caribbean cruise in uh, late July, uh, you wouldn't take a winter ship uh, transport in the Mediterranean in those days. And the Apostle Paul was very familiar with winter shipwrecks in the Mediterranean, if you know your Bible. And so Paul told Timothy, you need to come quickly. And in fact, you need to come before winter. And what Paul was saying is, once winter gets here, the opportunity to come will be gone. You either come now or you can't come. Because once winter gets here, you can't come. It's too dangerous. There aren't any ships that are sailing from where you are to where I am. Once winter comes, the opportunity to come is limited. The tenuous nature of our opportunities. You know, we have opportunities today that we will not have tomorrow. And as we watch the leaves fall as we anticipate winter coming, we see that many of the opportunities that we have had in 2022, those opportunities are fading. Perhaps the God of the universe has moved heaven and earth for you to take advantage of some opportunity today. The temporary nature of life, the very tenuous nature of opportunities, we must come before winter. Now, let me share with you some areas. And this is where we change this up often from year to year. But let me share with, with you some areas where I believe we should consider coming before winter. Number one, we need to answer the call. I'll tell you everything we're going to talk about today. We're going to answer the call. We're going to make the call. And then we're going to accept the call. But let me tell you what I mean by those. We must begin by answering the call and living for what matters the most. One of the most humbling thoughts I have, one of the most humbling thoughts that I ever have, is that God has given me only one earthly lifetime uh, to serve him, uh, to make an impact for Christ, to shine the bright light of the gospel into a dark world. I just have one lifetime, and that lifetime is brief, uh, maybe briefer than I expect. None of us know what tomorrow holds. Uh, I have one bullet in my gun. I have one shot, one spin, one go, one chance, one lifetime. And that brings verses to my mind that just hammer the truth home. John 9, 4, Jesus said, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day for night is coming when no man can work. There's coming a time when the opportunity I have to serve the Lord to make an impact uh, for the kingdom will be gone. John 4, 35, Jesus said, don't say there's still four months, four more months, and then the harvest. Open your eyes. Look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. He says, don't say I'm going to serve the Lord uh, four months from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. Don't say this is what I'm going to do later on. This is what I'm going to do when my kids leave home. This is what I'm going to do when I retire. This is what I'm going to do when I feel better. This is what I'm going to do when I get a promotion. This is what I'm going to do when I pay off those bills. 
No, there are things to do today, today. And then, of course, right here in 2 Timothy 4, make every effort to come before winter. You know, too many of us, too often, uh, we're like that fall leaf that has fallen into the stream and is just passing down the stream. And our lives end up making the same impact as that leaf. God has given us this life. It is precious. It is valuable, but it's also fragile and it is brief. We have this one life. There must be a time when we say, my life will count for the Lord. I will come before winter. I will take a risk. I will rise above the level of mediocrity and I will invest my life in something that matters. You know, I... I want to end my life like the Apostle Paul ended his. I don't know when my last day will come, but when it comes, when I get to the finish line, I don't want to be taking an afternoon stroll. When I reach the finish line, I want to be stretching out for the tape. I read an article, it's been a little while, two or three years perhaps, but I, I distinctly remember it. Someone had done a survey of elderly people in an assisted living facility. It was a large number. It was a comprehensive survey. And he asked them the question, what is your greatest regret? And this author said, this writer said that it was really eerie how they almost all said the same thing. They didn't regret the times that they had tried something and failed. Almost to the person, their regrets were about the things they failed to try. Does that make sense? I want to give you a challenge. This life is not a dress rehearsal for something else. You ever been to a dress rehearsal? I try to avoid them uh, at all costs. But, um, you know, dress rehearsal is sort of serious. I mean, you, you dress up, I guess. That's why it's called a dress rehearsal. You, you try to go through without stopping. Um, but you know it's not the real thing. There's something else. Well, this is not a dress rehearsal, church. This is it. This is it. For me, this is it. For you, this is it. Collecting seashells is for those who don't believe in eternal life. Uh, That's an illusion, sort of my summation of a famous sermon preached by John Piper just a few years ago. Probably the most famous sermon in the last 50 years. Uh, Piper was preaching to a bunch of college students. uh, And he, in his sermon told them about something that had happened in his church the previous week. And I'll read to you what he said about it. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Elason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80 years old, single all of her life. She poured her life out for one great thing 
to make Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80, and she served at Ruby's side in Cameroon. But last week, their brakes on their vehicle failed. The car went over a cliff. They were both killed instantly. And then he looked to the students and he asked, was that a tragedy? And then he answered the question for them. He said, no, that's not a tragedy. That's a glory. He said, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. And then some of us are old enough to know what this is. Some are not. But he pulled out uh, the Reader's Digest, which is a I don't know that it even exists anymore, perhaps, but it, it has stories in it, uh, stories in it. And he read a part of a story about Bob and Penny. And the Reader's Digest story, here it is. Bob and Penny took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Uh, Piper said, that's a tragedy. He said, it's the American dream. You come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and you let the last great work before you give an account to your creator, your last great work I collected seashells. What a tragedy. Now, the gist of that sermon is this. The, the most tragic thing in life is that we often live for little g gods. Little g gods. Do you know what a little g god is? Everybody lives for God. The question is, are you living for a little g god or a big g god? The little g gods, leisure. Material pursuits, conformity, retirement, worldly success, seashells, okay? Those are little g gods. God calls us to live for the one true living God, the capital G God. God calls us to trust him enough to take a risk. God calls us to leave the legacy for our children that mom and dad put everything on the line because of their love for Christ. I was in some classes uh, late this week in New Orleans working on uh, some studies, and one of the professors showed a, uh, a cartoon, and I took a picture of it, but it's not high enough quality to, uh, to show up on our big screens, but, but I'll tell you about it. It's a little comic, just a little short comic, and it pictured a uh, little boy sitting at a table on a busy sidewalk uh, lemonade stand style, and he had a sign on the front of his table uh, that said, kicks to the seat of the pants, $1. And so a passerby stopped and asked him, how's business going? And he said, business is terrible. And the passerby asked if he was surprised. He says, I'm shocked and I don't understand. Because everybody needs what I'm selling. <laughs> so let me give you and me a kick to the seat of the pants. 
your entire life has been a preparation for whatever's next. And I'm not going to tell you, I had originally written this uh, differently in my sermon. I'm not going to tell you that you stand at the fork, of, fork in the road. Uh, what I was going to say is you stand at the fork in the road and, and one path is living for the little G gods. And the other path is living for the big G God. Which path are you going to choose? But that, that's, not, that's not a good illustration. It's not a good picture. Here's a better picture. You're not standing at the fork in the road. You're standing in a parking lot with a whole bunch of other people. And this parking lot has, has different areas, different signs that label the different parts, and they're all overlapping. It's hard to tell exactly which part of the parking lot you are in. But, but he, here are the different areas of the parking lot. Looking out for number one, easy path, living for worldly goals, comfort is king, security is serene. So you're in a parking lot with everybody else, and there's one exit to the parking lot. And that exit says, come before winter and live for the big G God. Now, most of us, we just stay in the parking lot. You see, if you think about it as a fork in the road, everybody makes a decision. But the truth is, the real decision that most people make is the decision not to decide. It's not that you're going down the wrong path. It's that we don't go down a path at all, right? We just stay in the parking lot. To do nothing is to stay in the parking lot. To say you want to wait is to stay in the parking lot. To procrastinate is to stay in the parking lot. But a few people will trust God enough to leave the crowd and to live for the Lord. A few people will be the Davids in pursuit of Goliath. A few people will choose to be risk takers instead of caretakers and undertakers. A few people will say safe is overrated. We need to come before winter in the area of answering the call of God on our lives. Well, secondly, we need to come before winter in the area of making the call, not just accepting the call, um, but we need to make the call. What I mean is maybe we need to literally make a call, pick up our phones and make a call or a visit. Too many of us look to our past and we see the debris of the debris of way too many broken relationships or relationships that, that we've allowed to grow into disrepair. Have you ever been out in the country and you've seen, uh, seen a house with four or five cars in the front yard that you could tell have been there for a long time and not moved. And the grass is growing up around them and you, know, you can't even see in the windows because of all the tree sap that's fallen. And when they put those cars in that front yard, put them on concrete blocks or whatever. They never intended that those cars would still be there five years, 10 years from now. Nobody ever intended to turn their front yard into weeds and cars. But see, they put them there and then life happened. And they didn't get to it and they didn't get to it. And now everything's grown up and the car is dilapidated. You see, for many of us, we have relationships like that in our lives. And we never intended those relationships that maybe went through a difficult patch or maybe were stressful or strained. And we never meant for them to be what they are today. 
But now, five years later, we look back and it's a broken relationship. We need to come before winter in the area of making some calls and mending some relationships. There are really two kind of relationships I want to talk about quickly. One is a broken relationship or a neglected relationship. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter 12, listen to this, verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. What Paul says is that peacemaking should be our priority. If we're going to follow the Lord, we're going to do everything we can do to go back and mend those broken relationships. That's not just a nice thing to do. That is a way we honor the Lord. But not just broken or or neglected relationships, but also our dear relationships. I remember... Well, my daughters, one's just out of college, one's a senior in college, one's a junior in high school, uh, three daughters. And I can remember when my daughters wanted to hold dad's hand. I can remember when they wanted to sit in my lap and watch football on Saturdays. I can remember sitting in a chair and just holding them. And when we would do that, All was right in their world because dad was holding them. And all was right in dad's world because I had my precious little girl in my arms. What I can't remember is the last time that happened. I don't don't remember for any of the three of them. I don't remember the last time I held them in my arms. But I can tell you this, whenever the last time happened, if I would have known that was the last time, I would have held on a little longer. There are few things in life more important than loving our family and the close friends that God's given to us. That's not a side part of being a God-honoring Christian. That's a main part. And really there's a paradox in this sermon because uh, the whole sermon, my whole sermon is about urgency, urgency. If you get anything from this sermon, be urgent, be urgent. Uh, Come before winter. But you know, urgency can also be the problem. Urgency can also be the enemy. Urgency, if it leads us to neglect our families, then urgency is a terrible thing. When urgency in our career or urgency in our ambitions or urgencies for some worldly goal separates us from our family, keeps us from having enough time for our spouse and our kids and our friends and our parents, then urgency is the enemy. Listen, our families are urgent. Our families may not have deadlines like things at work have deadlines, but our families are urgent. Our families may not have an annual review at the end of the year, but our families are urgent. Let me talk to you for a moment as the funeral guy. Uh, I I looked some some things up this morning and I I think I've preached about 700 funerals. That's a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals. And when it comes down to funerals, 
there's only really three things worth mentioning. I can talk about, I mean, I'll preach the gospel for sure, but I can talk about your relationship with the Lord. I can talk about your relationship with family and I can talk about your relationship with friends. And frankly, there's not much else that anybody cares about. So I didn't ask permission to do this, uh, but I was thinking this week, four years ago, four years ago in a few weeks perhaps, uh, I had the privilege of preaching Gordon Lewis's funeral. Some of you will know Gordon. I loved Gordon, one of the wisest people I've ever known. Uh, Gordon was a very successful businessman and a banker. He was president of several local banks in Texas. Uh, He was supervisor for over 325 bank presidents as he led Bank Corp South. But I didn't mention any of that in his funeral message. You know why? Nobody really cared about that on that day. You know what mattered? He was a man of integrity. He loved the Lord. He loved his family. He loved his friends. And I looked back at the message this week. That's all I talked about. Listen, we get so busy sometimes trying to impress people uh, outside of our families. And we end up neglecting the people inside our families. I heard a story about a businessman who had to make some changes in his life and And he finally got this figured out and he said this, he said, I've been running around killing myself, trying to please people who probably wouldn't even attend my funeral if I got sick and died. But I have neglected my wife who would care for me and empty my bedpan without complaint until my last day. We give so much of ourselves to our career, our ambitions, our social media exposure, but in the end, it's the Lord and it's the spouse. If we're married, it's our parents, it's our kids, it's our friends. In the area of relationships, let's come before winter. And then finally, we need to come before winter by accepting the call, accepting the call of the Lord to make a decision. We become children of God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, because of the grace and the mercy, because Christ's sacrifice was enough to pay the penalty for our sins. But that salvation becomes ours because we make a decision to accept what Christ has done for us. Listen to this Old Testament passage, John 24, Joshua 24, 15. Joshua said, if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, okay, choose for yourselves which you will serve, the God of your ancestors uh, who were worshipped beyond the Euphrates River, maybe the God of the Amorites whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. There comes a time when we have to come before winter in the area of accepting the, the call, the grace, and the mercy that God offers to us. You know what I think is the greatest? No, not the greatest. What I think is the worst invention in the history of mankind. I believe it's the snooze button. Uh, 
Earlier in life, I fought a daily battle with the snooze button. Uh, now I can't sleep anymore, so I don't even have a, I don't even know how to work the snooze button. But, uh, but when I was younger, I would set an alarm at night with all of the best intentions of waking up bright and early, having more than enough time to get everything set and to uh, just seize the day. Well, then the snooze button would come and it would come and it would come and then, and then I would be in, in trouble. God calls us God convicts us of our sin. God calls us to do great things. And I've been a pastor for a long time. I'm convinced that not a lot of people say no. Not a lot of people say no. I think God calls people in the ministry. I think God calls people to do great things for him and to serve and to go on mission trips and to give and to, and to love people and to share the gospel and invite your friends to Christmas at first. I mean, I think God tells us, I mean, I mean, he is so good and he communicates with such patience in our lives and he calls us to do so many things. And I'm convinced that hardly anybody ever tell, ever tells God, no, what we do is we tell God later. Paul said to Timothy, come before winter. What he was saying is that if your plan, Timothy, is later, then you'll never come. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, as I have prepared this message, I've thought of areas in my life where I need to come before winter. I thought of areas where I have not told you no. I've just told you wait. But your grace and mercy says today, I can still come before winter. I pray that'll be a reality in my life, in the lives of all who hear me speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together in both services. There will be people here in the front who would like to encourage you and pray with you, you come.